Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. We come into this place to proclaim reality, to literally, I mean, we, sometimes we say it as a joke, but we come to speak things into existence. And that is what baptism is. In baptism, we seek to speak something into existence, God's work in the life of an individual. We don't want to dial in to that today. If I keep saying his name, he's going to keep talking to me in the middle of the sermon, which I kind of enjoy, but uh, we know who we're talking about. But I was going to say, I want to ask your, uh, I offer my apologies and ask your forgiveness. I was at a wedding, an outdoor wedding yesterday. All right, let that sink in. I've seen a couple faces. Oh my. So a little bit of a frog in my throat. So please pray for me that, uh, if, that my throat gets through today. And I simply offer my apologies for that. But let's see what we can do. So as I was thinking about what we were doing today, I had an experience and started to think about um, Y'all ever run into those people that call themselves soul winners? Y'all ever had that experience? Now, I'm not here to criticize, all right? In fact, some of these folks are some of my favorite people to talk to because they're passionate about the gospel. We get down into the weeds about it. I love it. But soul winners are those folks who have this goal, quite simply, they take the Great Commission seriously. The Great Commission is what Jesus gives us at the end of Matthew as he's ready to ascend into heaven. And he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe everything I have commanded you. And I love people that take that seriously, that we have a message to share with others. And I've had some extensive experience with this. I have been through some soul winning classes. I have participated in this. And at least once a year at the county fair, somebody wants to grab me and talk about it. And I'm like, dude, that's not what you want to do. All right, you don't want to get me started. Or my kids are like, daddy, daddy, go over there. Like, go have some fun. Go see what you can do. I'm like, guys, stop right now. But this is an ongoing occurrence for me. But the idea is to share Jesus with family and with neighbors And moving that conversation to a point where someone makes, we might call a decision for Christ. And generally we pray a prayer and we accept Jesus into our hearts. Maybe you've participated in something of this yourself. Maybe some of you do a very delicate dance to the other side of the street, so to speak, so that you don't have to engage in these conversations. They can be they can be a little awkward in public. All of a sudden we're talking about religion, like one of the things we're not supposed to talk about, right? But, it, but the question and the presence of soul winning, of getting saved, begs a simple and profound question that faces us on this day. And we can't leave this question to folks on the other side of the street. We have to ask the question, at what point are we saved? When are we saved? What is our answer to that question? May put an even finer point on it. If someone asked you, when were you saved? What would you say? Or when did you know that you had salvation? Maybe you didn't, weren't saved, but when did you think you had, a, you had some sense of your own salvation? When was that for you? Maybe some of us point to our baptism or to confirmation, something along those lines, something liturgical, some church setting. Other of us, you know, maybe your answer is that you did pray a prayer at one time, that somebody led you to the Lord in that way. Or perhaps some of you have had some other kind of life experience. I've heard many answers to this question. 
And whatever your experience is, it anchors you in a sense of God's salvation, that you have some place in this thing that we call eternal life. But some of you also might look back at me and go, you know what, I'm not actually sure that I have a good answer for that. I'm still not sure. I still wonder about this from time to time. And I simply want to share some good news that, at least for me, I understand both the certainty and the confusion. I remember that I prayed that prayer multiple times. I think I've, think I've shared a couple of times here, but it is one of my favorite stories to tell, so I don't care. I'm going to tell it anyway. That I remember the first time I prayed the prayer to receive Jesus, I actually didn't pray the prayer. I just wanted to see what happened if I prayed the prayer and then like, they would take all the people that prayed. They'd take them to a back room. Like I wanted to see who the wizard was back here and what was going on. I just wanted to hear it. So if it makes you feel any better or worse about your clergyman, the first time I say I accepted Jesus, it was a lie. But I remember praying it a lot. And what happened for me is that I was promised that my life would change. That I was sure, I believed what I was told, that I would transform into the person that God had made me to be, this amazing person. And well, there was some of that. There was some of that. But for me, it was, I was always just coming up that short. You know what I mean? Like, yes, I'm changed, but I'm not yet there. And I don't mind failing big. What drives me nuts in my own life is when I fail so close. That gets under my skin. And I was like, well, maybe the last one didn't take. Maybe I need to do it again. Maybe I need to do it again. Maybe I need to do it again. Underneath all of this, underneath this question that churns about our own salvation, there's this, if you'll permit the metaphor, this kind of theological pee that is stuck underneath this pile of mattresses, this irritant that we have to answer. And it's a theological question. It's, it's a question, what do you believe about God? Are we saved because we reach out to God or are we saved because God reaches out to us? How would you answer that? I kept reaching out for God. My fingers were just that much too short. And at some point, I started to wonder, am I ever going to get there? And I wonder if I'm the only one in this room who sometimes wonders, am I ever going to get there? And I wonder if it's not just me, but sometimes I wonder if actually, believe it or not, and walk with me for a second here, I actually wonder if Jesus wrestled with this question too. We proclaim that Jesus is fully divine. He has a full understanding of who he is as the one who is to be the Messiah. But we also proclaim that Jesus is fully human, that he has a will that is just like yours. He has a mind that is just like ours. And I wonder, and it can't be easy to know you're the Messiah. Like, like stop and think about it. Like, that can't be an easy thing to bear. Did Jesus wrestle with this question too? And I think because he is fully human, because he experienced life as we do, he was subject to the same pressures and the same questions as you and me. In the story that we get today, at the beginning of Mark, it's interesting, Mark cares not a whit about how Jesus was born, you know, all that stuff, all the stuff we do at Christmas. Mark doesn't care one bit. Mark's like, let's get to the good stuff in Mark's mind. And so he starts the gospel with this baptism story. And in this story, Jesus has reached adulthood. He has reached sort of an age of accountability and reason. He's kind of, he's his own man now. 
And maybe he's unsure, as most of us are when we kind of achieve adulthood. We're like, well, what am I supposed to do now? And I wonder if this is part of the reason why he rolls up to John the Baptist's crib with the intention of participating in this thing that John is calling a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And in this story, maybe Christ's experience can be a little more instructive for our own, especially those of us who struggle with the question of salvation. Now you see, baptism isn't a Christian invention. What Bryce does is not a Christian thing. In fact, we don't even have the rights to it. It's a Jewish practice, and it has been a Jewish practice for many, many, many generations. They've practiced it for thousands of years, and they still do. And the Jewish people would have heard the same thing that our choir just sang this morning. Now to his temple draw near. I love that line. Come to the temple of God. But for Jewish minds, they said, in order for us to go to the temple, we have to be in right relationship with God. And they were wrestling with the same question that we do. Am I good enough to go to the temple? Am I right with God? Am I cleansed enough? And that was the purpose of the law that we read about in, Genesis, in Galatians chapter 3. The law was a guide, a disciplinarian, not a, not a teacher smacking your wrist, but a guide, a disciplinarian to help people attain sort of this cleanliness so that they could be in the presence of God. And its fundamental purpose is exactly what John described. It is an act of repentance. It says, God, I am sorry. It is an act of remorse. And, we are, and in baptism, the people would have literally been washed of their sins as a demonstration of one's commitment to God. And in doing so, renew their covenant with God and returning to full status with the people of God. And in this way, made clean to participate in the faith as they understood it. John would have been a willing participant. Love John. John is my guy because John is all about getting it right. And we know from various Gospels, not just that Mark doesn't tell us much about John. The other Gospels fill in a picture for us a little bit. But we know from these other writings that John is a bit of a moralist. And some of us are going, thank God, somebody who says here is right and here is wrong. And John serves this purpose well. He is a moralist. There is a right way to be and there is a wrong way to be. And John's got no problem telling you which side of the ledger he finds you on. We learn from the other Gospels, he's also the son of a priest. Imagine growing up in a priest's home. You can ask my kids when you see them how much, I'm not a priest, but you can ask them how much fun it is to be a pastor's kid, let alone a priest's kid. And so in his own household, John would have understood that obedience to the law, getting it right, would have been of the utmost importance. It goes to our very identity as the people of God, Yes. We can't call ourselves the people of God and then ignore what God has to tell us. This is how John would have been raised. Get right with God is John's message. And he's doing God's work by setting right the sin that we all participate in. But even John the Baptist, the moralist that he is, the moral preacher, he understands that this reaching for God, this following the law, was all was important, but it was temporary. It was never the end game for what God was doing in the world. He said, something else is coming. John knew this. He said, something else is coming. And he says, he who is mightier than I is coming. Whispers a promise. Doesn't say who, doesn't know where it's coming from. He just says, I know. Someone is coming who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. 
says, I am not even good enough to bow down before them and untie their dirty, nasty sandals. He says, look, what I'm doing, I'm just baptizing you with water. We're just doing, we're just doing the legal thing, the right thing. But he says, whoever this one is to come is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. With the very Spirit of God, you will be baptized. He'll not just refresh and renew your old life, kind of set you right until you mess it up again. No, he says, he is going to give you an entirely new life. He is going to change you from the inside out with the very Spirit of God. There is no way for us to underestimate Well, there's no way for us to overestimate, excuse me, no way for us to overestimate what John is promising here. He said, God will give you of God's very self and it will change you forever. And he says, until that time, we have a baptism of repentance. Come. And so they did. Until that day, this young adult Jesus rolls up and I love Mark. Mark's just like, so here's what happened says, Jesus goes down into the water. Doesn't like say that they're like talking or be like, dude, can you help me out? And the guy's like, are you sure about that? You know, none of that. Just Jesus goes down in the water. He comes back up. He would have been laid down in the Jordan, brought back up out of the water. And then he says, the heavens were torn open. The heavens are ripped apart. And if you want to know where I, if I could go back to a spot in the scriptures and just observe that, the cross is one thing, of course, but I want to know what it looks like for the heavens to be torn open for God to speak. This is one of those places I'm just like, what happened? But that's not for this side of heaven, unfortunately. But the heavens are torn open, and he hears, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. He does not hear you are forgiven. He does not hear, you are, you are now accepted. Now you can come in. Now you're fully apart. He does not hear, good first step, Jesus. Here's the rest of the manual so that you can figure it out. Rather, he hears, you are my child. You are my beloved. I am well pleased with you. And this takes us back to our psalm. In our psalm, we read about the voice of God. What does the voice of God do? Well, the psalmist understood the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. doesn't whisper. He thunders. The voice of the Lord is powerful. It strips the cedars. He makes the nations skip like a calf. It shakes the wilderness. The oaks whirl, strips the forest bare. And in light of all this power, all anybody can say is glory. And it is that voice who says... Of all the things God could have said, you are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. The voice of the Lord stripped away all the stuff and showed us who Jesus is. He is the one who will baptize us with the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? And I wonder, what would your life look like If God tore the heavens open and said to you, you are my child whom I love with you, I am well pleased. Would you wonder about your salvation then? Would you carry those doubts if God said, you are my beloved child? Well, I have good news. In baptism, Christ does not call us up to him. It's not a first step to try to figure out salvation. 
In baptism, Christ comes down to us and joins us in these imperfect, dirty waters. If you've seen the Jordan, you know it is, it is not a pretty river. It is this tiny little, like, crick. And some of you are going to make fun of me. It's crick, not creek, okay? It's this little, tiny crick in the middle of the Middle East. It's this dirty, nasty water that is filled with dirty, nasty people who need to be forgiven. And Jesus joins us in that water with imperfect people, broken people, weary people, sinful people, just like you and just like me. And he joins us and blesses these waters so that anyone, Bryce, who enters them, enters the very life of Christ, the beloved. When we step into these waters, and I know it's a font, but roll with it. We don't step into the waters, literally. But roll with me for a second. When we step into those waters, we don't, your baptism, we don't come to deal with sin. Bryce is a little older, he's getting on the line, but we would all proclaim Bryce has none. You know, hold our children to good and bad. I mean, as parents, like I said, I understand you, this is a weird baptism today. You all have been through some things. But we don't hold that against children. But baptism will root him in the truth about himself and the world, and at times it will help him to deal with the brokenness of his life. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If he's not there, he's going to get there. We all do. And baptism will call him to a holy life, of course. But more essential than sin is that baptism is Christ's gift. Christ's desire to say to each and every one of us, you, not your neighbor, you are the beloved child of God. Full stop. And I'm tired of arguing this. Full stop. Which is why we say it at the beginning. Why we say it primarily, but not exclusively. It's why we say it to children. Before any one of us lifted a finger towards vice or towards virtue, before any of us said any word or had any agency whatsoever, God was crazy about us. And that has never changed. Before you decided to follow Jesus, before you accepted Jesus into your heart, Jesus accepted you into his. And do you understand the difference? And he calls to you, And he seeks to lavish on you grace and mercy and peace and growth and discipleship and the very kingdom of God. And that is a starting point to a life not defined by sin and judgment and coming up just short. Rather, it's a life defined by living in the beauty of Christ because we know exactly who we are, the beloved child of God. And if God loves me, am I not saved? To return to my soul-winning friends, I wonder then if our evangelism, our response to the Great Commission, because we have this story to tell, right? Like, y'all go find me a better piece of information that you're going to hear today. You can go find one. I wonder if our evangelism, our good news, our sharing of this, our response to the Great Commission isn't about getting people to accept Jesus as their Savior, but simply communicating the message that God has already accepted them. Everything would change, wouldn't it? We wouldn't have to get into arguments about this theology, that theology, good people, bad people. Like, I don't even know what good and bad means most of the time. No, rather than getting, viewing people through a moralist lens of saved or unsaved, of good or bad, or Christian or non-Christian, our conviction is just that the entire world is loved by God. We're simply here to help them discover that life-changing fact for themselves. 
And being saved is simply the moment when our eyes are open to understand how much God loves us. And once we catch a glimpse of that, there is no going back. Not even a little bit. Once you understand just how much God loves you, which is probably even more than you love yourself, once you catch a glimpse of that, there is no going back. And what a world it would be if each of us knew how unbelievably valued we are by God. And what a world it would be if we looked at each other and understood just how much our neighbor is valued by God as well. So Bryce, Tiffany, and Brett, let's do this gospel. Let's wade in the water. Not to reach out to Christ, but let's wade in the water and find Christ waiting for Bryce exactly there waiting for his beloved child from the day he was fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen.